0: Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. This is Josh welcoming you back to the Dwell Digital Living Room. I don't know about you, but I have been jumping into some post-apocalyptic movies, books, podcasts, whatever I can get my hands on during this time. It was kind of weird. I kind of did it by accident and then started noticing, hey, Why is it that you want to keep watching all of these weird apocalyptic things? And I think in some ways, in a crazy time, it's kind of cool to see something that's crazier, you know? Uh, And I've noticed in these movies and books and whatever, there's always, like, this one weird guy. And, you know, he's, like, sitting on his, like, throne made out of skulls or car hoods, depending on what post-apocalypse you're in. He's wearing, like, a leather jacket or, like, a bow tie. He's got some sort of mohawk or maybe he wears a top hat. Uh, I don't know. Uh, usually some sort of flame pattern, uh, shaved into his beard, that kind of thing. These are all things that we'll love during the apocalypse, just so you know. But, uh... It's always weird, you have this one guy, and he thinks he's like so hardcore and so awesome, and he's kind of of the mindset that this crazy apocalypse has led everyone to living the way that they were actually always wanting to live. That somehow like lifting normal societal mores, lifting uh, all of our norms, lifting all the things that we're used to living, we will slip into this dog-eat-dog, you know, the strongest wins, uh, only the strong survive kind of way of living he's kind of like, finally, we can be ourselves. And it makes me question, because you see this character all over the place in like, uh, you know, futuristic, apocalyptic kind of literature. It makes me wonder, like, is this true? I mean, is that like how we actually are going to live if everything really, really ended up really bad? Like, is that is there any basis to this? And I think uh, that fear that perhaps humanity could actually end up that way, that that fear that that guy is actually lurking inside of all of us has really like come to the forefront of our minds during this COVID season, during this self-isolation season. It's easy to sort of like feel that way right now. To look at the world and be like, it's crazy, there's lots of stuff going on, and so all I really need to do is take care of myself. All I really need to do is look out for me and mine. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and so I need to be the biggest dog that I can be. But I'm not sure that that's the biblical way of looking at it. And I'm not sure that it's healthy either. Uh, So today, we're actually making a transition. We're not going to sort of be in the same captivity series we were the past three weeks. For the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be doing something of the like out-of-captivity series sort of. And so we've been looking at the Babylonian captivity, which was a period of time which God's people were sent off to Babylon uh, as captives, as sort of like war treasures. And uh, then now we're transitioning to a time where we're looking at this week, Nehemiah, next week, Ezra, and asking the question, what happens when God's people come out of captivity? And today, uh, like I said, we're looking at Nehemiah. You really should take a look at it. Uh, If you get a chance, you've got a little bit of extra time on your hands. And can I just say, uh, I've talked to a few of you guys doing some like deep Bible dives uh, since we've started this whole COVID thing. That is just so amazing and so inspiring to me. I think in a time when you have no idea what you should be doing, in a time when you have a ton of questions, turning to scripture, turning to prayer are always excellent options. So I just want to applaud you in that. I imagine Nehemiah would as well. I don't know if that's true, but I'm just leaning into it because I need to transition back to Nehemiah. Here we are. So, uh, Nehemiah, he's living in Babylon. He's a cupbearer to the king. You can find all of this in Nehemiah 1 through 4. He has this vision of Jerusalem. It's looking really sad because it had been conquered and he's living in Babylon. So he asks the king, he says, hey, can I go back and make sure that Jerusalem is okay? Shows up in Jerusalem, finds all the walls are broken down. The city is in complete ruins. And so, uh, with the permission of this foreign king, with the permission of uh, his conqueror even, he is allowed to start rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and start saying, okay, uh, this is what God's people and God's place, the Holy Land, is supposed to look like. I am going to start making things right again, but it's not easy for him. It's actually a lot of really cool leadership lessons to be found in in Nehemiah 1 through 4. He uh, faces adversity. He has to get creative. He has to figure out how to tackle such a big thing. Like he's trying to cover uh, the wall all around the city of Jerusalem. And so he comes up with this idea of like you and your family need to work on the wall that is next to your house. Like that's the way that we're going to divvy this thing up. And then he starts getting attacks or at least threats of attacks from some of the outsiders who don't live in Jerusalem who don't want to build back up. So he actually uh, splits the team into shifts. Some of them are holding spears. Some of them are holding shovels. Uh, There's even a a part where they're like working and with one hand holding a hammer and then having a a sword wrapped around their belt at all times to prepare for adversity. Really, really cool stuff. And then we come upon this story in Nehemiah chapter 5. And so um, what had happened was uh, he's faced all these challenges, they're rebuilding the wall, and then, in the midst of all of this, Nehemiah finds out, some people come to complain, he finds out that there are people that are starving, and people that are having to make really terrible choices, like, do I sell this farm that's been in my family for generations, so that I can feed my family right now, or do I try and hold on to it? People are having to like basically take out uh, you know, extra mortgages on their home just to be able to feed themselves. While some of the people that are working, some of the people living in Jerusalem that came with Nehemiah are eating just fine. And so uh, he looks at this situation and he says, this is not right. And it's astounding. uh, If you look in the beginning part of this chapter, actually, uh, some of those people that are complaining, they're like, Hey, we're your flesh and blood. And when Babylon took everyone captive, like we did not get taken. We got sort of like left behind and we've been scraping by a, a living here. And now you come back as our new governor, and now we can't even afford to live anymore. We can't even afford to survive. Well, for Nehemiah, this simply will not stand. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of context, back then, as the governor of Jerusalem, appointed by the king as sort of like his underling, Nehemiah had full freedom to be able to sort of take any taxes that he deemed necessary uh, to require gifts of food or gifts of money or, or whatever that looks like. Nehemiah had total freedom in this case and yet he chose not to use it. You could even say that he had certain privileges that came with being Nehemiah right so uh, the only way that he was able to even make this plan work is because he was already the cupbearer to the king. He already had the king's ear uh, to be able to say hey we should go back and save Jerusalem. Then he shows up, he has the option to have any of the food that he wants, any of the money that he wants, anything that uh, he can demand, people are sort of obliged to give to him, and he has this giant military power off in the distance who are backing his play. But he didn't use any of that privilege to his own advantage. In fact, he sort of looked at this whole thing and he says, hey, if we're going to accomplish this task that is bigger than all of us, if we're going to actually get this thing done, then that means we are going to have to take care of each other. And so what he does is uh, he makes sure that the people around him first are taken care of. He decides to feed all of them from his table. And then he uh, eliminates the taxes and he makes sure that everyone in the region is taken care of. He actually puts all of their needs first above his own and actually uses his privilege to be a blessing to them. It truly really is a wonderful story, especially in a day and age now when we're looking at this and we think of a lot of our leaders as just sort of like gaining more leadership, gaining more power, gaining more privilege to benefit themselves, right? Like uh, a few years ago, there were all these scandals about like what government leaders were, you know, using money, taxpayer money for, right? Like flying in private jets or, or whatever. And, and for us, we have this idea that we're all uncomfortable but kind of okay with where we say like a person in power has to spend so much more money because they are a powerful person. A person in power needs all of these other things so that they can you know, continue to lead us because they're so much more important. And Nehemiah flips that on its head. He says, yeah, I know I'm the person in power. I know I could demand whatever I want from you, but instead I am going to serve you. And he lays down a very, very biblical mindset of generosity in front of all of these people. And that is how he's able to succeed in coming out of captivity well. He actually builds up the walls of Jerusalem and makes it an inhabitable city again, uh, bringing it back from ruin. So here's all I have for you today. Because for me, that was just a very simple and inspiring story of I should be more generous as I transition out of quarantine. So I'm going to not try and just, you know, beat a dead horse. Hopefully you see the beauty in that as well. I just want to leave you with these three ideas. Simply that uh, in exiting quarantine and slowly transitioning back into whatever our new normal is going to look like, you can have three possible attitudes. The first one is a hoarding attitude. Which says, like, I have got to take care of what is mine. I've got to, like, get as much as I possibly can. I've got to hold on to it. This is the same mindset of the people that bought, you know, 10 million rolls of toilet paper as this thing started, right? Like, the panic buying, uh, the crazy just making sure that you're taking care of that kind of thing. This is not a biblical mindset, because it is a mindset that says that my security, my sense of control, my sense of self, they are all wrapped up in how much I have and what I can control. Whereas a biblical mindset, a Christian mindset, is actually saying, no, my security is found in God, not in anything that I can put my hands on. The second mindset probably doesn't sound as nefarious as that first one, but it's simply a mindset of saying, take what you can get. And this is kind of one of those, like, uh, very American ideas uh, that we're probably all taught. It's very, you know, it's wrapped up in, like, our moral teaching to say, like, you should try and help others, you should try and do good, you should try and be good by others, but also you've got to make sure you take care of yourself, Right. This is the mindset, too, that leads us to think, like, well, if somebody's going to offer me something, then I'm going to take it, right? Like a government stimulus check. Yeah, sure, I'll take that. Oh, I can apply for this program. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. And believe me, I am not at all trying to shame anyone who has taken any of those things. By all means, if you need them, take them. There is no shame in it. I want you to hear me say that 100%. If you need that, by all means, take advantage of it. But there's a lot of us, and a lot of you that are probably watching today, that are kind of in that in-between camp, where you're like, well, you know, it'd be nice if I did have this, and they're giving it away for free, so I might as well take it. And I don't know, everybody's got to make that decision for themselves. But in this story today, Nehemiah had every right, he had every option to just continue taking the taxes from the people that were surrounding him, and he was in fact taking food out of other people's mouths. Now, maybe you can draw a direct correlation to your life today in that. Maybe you can't. I don't really know. Like I said, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. But what I do know is that it, take all you can get, that type of mentality, is not the most biblical mentality. In fact, the most biblical way of living is actually radical biblical generosity. This is an idea uh, that we think of a lot associated with Jesus, but it's actually present throughout the entire Bible. Uh, The people of God were called constantly to be radically generous with their giving. From the very beginning, a tithe was created for the people of Israel. As God's, like, setting out the law, he's saying, like, you're not going to spend all your money and more. You're not going to live even, like, you know, at the top of your means or beyond your means. You're also going to contribute to the better good of society. You're going to contribute uh, to the tabernacle so that it can be used to serve the people, so that it can be used for religious worship and sacrifices. And then on top of all of that, uh, there's also this thing in uh, the Old Testament and Jewish life uh, that's called the year of Jubilee. Lee, where like every seven years people that owed you debts would be forgiven and you sort of like eat that cost as a person that was loaning to them. There's also this really beautiful picture, and this is all like Jewish law. This is all the like boring books, right? Like Leviticus and Numbers, the books that we don't talk about a lot. It all lays this out. Uh, there's this really beautiful picture of like owning a field if you're a farmer and leaving the edges, knowing that there will be people who are literally living on the margins of society who need that crop. And so as a farmer, you might think, I need to harvest as much as I possibly can. I need to get the most out of my field. But instead, God tells his people, hey, leave some. Leave some for the stranger among you. Leave some for the sojourner. Leave some for the needy in your, in your culture, in your uh, society. Jesus comes in and affirms this, and he says some crazy stuff like this. In uh, Luke chapter 3, he says, And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. This was very countercultural. Tax collectors were famous for collecting more than they were authorized. And he said to them, "Our uh, soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money, which was also very common, from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. Now that sounds radical to people back then, but that also sounds radical to us today. Jesus says to, you know, those of us that are working, don't take more than you need. Don't try any sort of alternative means just to get the most. I mean, how often do we really, really think that way? Right? Like, how often when you're looking at a job, maybe you're taking a new job and doing a negotiation, you're just like, I want as much money as I can possibly get out of this thing. Or you're looking at, you know, like different ways that you can sort of like work the system in your benefit. And Jesus is saying, be content with what you have. Then he even takes it a step further. The very first little chunk is saying, like, hey, if you have two tunics, you know, your selfishness or even worldly wisdom would say, hey, save that other tunic for a rainy day. You might need it. If you have extra food, your worldly wisdom would be like, okay, well, you can just meal prep and throw that stuff in the freezer and keep it forever. Jesus is saying, give it to someone who needs. There's a pastor uh, who started uh, a lot of different little uh, micro churches around college campuses in uh, North America and around the world. His name is Ed Kang. And I saw him at a conference one time, and I'm going to totally like, butcher this paraphrase. Uh, but he sort of takes a look at the early church and the, the church being birthed in the book of Acts. And he says, like, hey, look at these people. They're supposed to be different. They're sharing what they have. And it's because they call themselves a family. And if you think about it, in a family, this is like the example that he uses. In a family, if you've got one uncle who has a Ferrari and another, you know, nephew or something like that, that can't pay his bills and is living on the streets, that's a pretty dysfunctional family. But how often are we as the people of God like that, right? Like we say here at Dwell that we're a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. That means if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that we are the family of God and we are a small expression of the church universal, then we cannot stand by while our family members are suffering. We cannot stand by and live uh, lavishly, live sort of uh, selfishly while others are in need. And luckily, the early church actually did live this way. We see it uh, when Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians. He says, We want you to know, brothers... He's writing to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their uh, extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means... As I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here Paul is sort of a go-between between between these different churches, and he's saying like, I uh, went over to Macedonia and I need to tell you Corinthians about how generous they were. They gave of their means, then they gave beyond their means, and they were begging me for the opportunity, the privilege of being able to care for the saints, the privilege of being able to care for one another. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So here's the simple idea to take away. Living the Christian life, following after Jesus, means living a life of radical, biblical generosity. So, uh, I know this might be the time when I say, give to dwell, we need tons of money, I need to get my own Ferrari, Uh, I'm still sort of hoping for that. No, 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 it's not all about that. Uh, If you're a part of Dwell, if you're a part of our family uh, and are a follower of Jesus, then uh, as you're able... Uh, We believe that it's actually a spiritual discipline for us and and even myself and my family uh, to tithe, to give a portion of our income, to not live beyond our means uh, to the church so that it continues to do good. We do things like uh, make someone's May. Uh, This month we've uh, helped out Hope in Our City. We've been helping out Cheltenham Elementary. We've been partnering with other community organizations to see how we can love our neighbors. And that is all based on your giving, Dwell Church. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for that so much. But even more so, even than just like giving through uh, dwell, which I do believe is a good thing, even more so than that, I want you to think of how you can be radically, biblically generous. How can you take your privilege, how can you take what you have been given and turning it, turn it into someone else's blessing? How can you like put yourself in the life of Nehemiah? How can you put yourself in his shoes and say, well, this is what he had at his disposal. This is what he was offered. What is it that I have? What is it that I have control of? Maybe I can use my time. Maybe I can give of my time to someone else. Maybe I can volunteer somewhere. Maybe that just means reaching out to your friends, checking in and listening to them about how their life is. Maybe you can give uh, even of your blood. Like that doesn't cost anything and as long as you're healthy and well, maybe that's something that you can offer. Maybe you can give care, uh, put in the effort for the people around you to actually care for them. And then finally, there are tons of places where you can use resources if you are one of those that have it. Uh, You can give to our COVID fund as a part of Dwell Church that uh, goes straight out into the community to help those who need it. Or maybe you can help out a friend or a neighbor. Now, the biggest problem with all of this, and I want to say this directly to you if you're listening, especially if you are someone in need, the biggest problem is being able to find where and how to give. So in this opportunity, I want to say first off, check out our website if you're someone who is in need. uh, We very much want to help you. There's a a page there and a form you can fill out. Uh, We want to be able to support you in this time. Uh, We view you as family, so do not hesitate to reach out. And for the rest of us who may have means, who may have something to give, spend some time today. First off, assessing your own generosity and asking yourself, how generous am I? How generous am I with my time? How generous am I with my money? How generous am I with everything that Jesus has given to me? And then ask God to show you ways, to show you people, uh, to show you means to live out a radically, biblically generous life. I am trusting him to show that to you, and I am trusting him to show it to me even though it sounds scary, even though it sounds daunting. And I cannot wait to hear back from you guys next week of ways in which you have lived a radically biblically generous life. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, He gives us the gift of community through His church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.